All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Mount Olive. So glad you joined us today. Uh, we've been going through a series called No Perfect People Allowed. And if you're, you know, have ever come up against this sense of you don't, you know, measure up, you can't, you know, reach the line, you can't get to the place where you need to be, and you are always falling short, this series is for you. And if you miss any of the messages in this series, you can go back and listen to them. They're on our website, mountallofefc.com. Uh, or you can, you know, we have a podcast you can subscribe to, and that's the end of my shameful advertising, okay? We're going to get on with the series now. So no perfect people uh, allowed. You know, undoubtedly, at some point in your life, you have uh, felt like you were in over your head, like you were in water too deep, like you were overwhelmed with the circumstance or the situation that you found uh, yourself in. And we talked about this a few weeks about, uh, ago, about this, 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 these times in our lives where we just feel like we're in over our head. And oftentimes, uh, they are kind of consistent in the sense of, they are often surrounded around the times when we enter new territory, right? So it's like you took a new job, uh, you took a new position in your job with more responsibility or leadership, and you're like, I don't know, I feel like I'm overwhelmed. I don't know if I can live into this thing that I've been you know, stepping into. Uh, maybe you moved to a new town or it went to a new school uh, and it just kind of left you or started a new relationship or a friendship that you, you know, they're asking you questions about life or whatever. You're like, I don't know if I'm qualified. I'm in over my head. Now, for followers of Jesus, this is, uh, we, I mean, we, we face this like everyone else, but for followers of Jesus, there's kind of a nuance to this as well, and that is sometimes us feeling like we're in over our head is like, is God. Like, he kind of pushes us and, and leads us and prompts us into situations or circumstances that make us feel like we're in over our head. But whether you, you know, see this from a, a, a spiritual or faith perspective, or you're not a person of faith, undoubtedly, one of the outcomes, one of the outcomes that we all face when we come into these stretching experiences is this, and I'm going to phrase it in, from a, a perspective of faith, but if you're not a person of faith, uh, you'll probably still get it because it's for all of us. And that is, oh, this isn't on, so that's not going to work. All right, let's try this again. Sorry about that. Some of the things God leads us to or calls us into force us to come, and this is the part that's true of all of us, when we are stretched, it forces us to come face to face with our own inadequacies, right? The moment we're like, oh, this is too much, all of a sudden, a mirror is put up to us and it says, I don't think I have the ability to do that. We come face to face with our own inadequacy. And, and here's the deal. Maybe for you, like I said, it's a, a new town, a new position. But for us follow, followers of Jesus, sometimes God kind of prompts us into an area of ministry, reaching out to a neighbor or a friend. Sometimes he kind of prompts us into a leadership position. Uh, if I'm honest, like whenever God kind of calls me beyond the couch in Netflix, it's like I'm just a little uncomfortable, right? Because like, I, I don't know, like... do. It makes me come face to face with my own inadequate self. Can I step into this? Now, here's one of the things we all do when we come face to face with our inadequate selves. And this, again, is true of all of us, whether you're a person of faith or not. One of the things we all do is we begin to name ourselves. We begin to name ourselves. 
And sometimes it's because we're face-to-face with our inadequacy. And, and, and we don't, you know, names in, in ancient times were different than names today in some sense. In ancient times, you know, when you name someone, it always, there was a meaning. And it's like, I'm going to find a name with that meaning. And I'm going to give it to the child. Now, for most of us, we're like, my name's Ben or Bob or George or Sylvia or Nancy. And we don't necessarily think of like, what's the meaning of that name that I'm going to live into? But here's, here's the deal. We name ourselves regardless. We use names like, I'm not educated, I'm not the educated one, I'm not the strong, I'm not brave, I'm, I'm, I, I, and, and we name ourselves by, by, by both what we can't do, stepping into our future, whatever it is, but we name ourselves from the past, I'm the addicted one, I'm, I'm just, that's just who I am, right? And we, we label ourselves, we live into that. No, I'm, I'm the angry one. I just lose my temper. I tried once to stop it. I went through like a thing and just couldn't. It's just like, this is who I am. And we project our future based on what our past was because of the names we believe about ourselves. And maybe they're not even just names you've put on yourself, but there's some names that your father or your mother or a friend or a bully or someone gave you and you continue to live with that name. And you've named yourself. You know, there's this interesting story in, in the Old Testament of this woman named Naomi. And just to kind of give you the story, she uh, moved from her homeland to a faraway land because there was like this famine, bad stuff was happening. She goes to this other land, and in the process of being there, her husband and her two sons die. She goes back to her homeland, and they're like, hey, Naomi. She says, no, 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 no. My name's not Naomi. My name's Mara. Because here's the thing, Naomi meant pleasant. She said, I'm not pleasant, I'm Mara, and Mara means bitter. This is who I am, I'm the bitter one. Maybe you've named yourself the bitter one. I tried to forgive, I tried to move on from what had been done, there's no use. This is just who I am, and we name ourselves. But here's the interesting thing. I said earlier, we all do this because of the, when we come face to face with our inadequate selves, we come face to face with our own inadequacy. But here's the interesting thing. As followers of Jesus, when we come to our inadequate selves, the reality of our inadequate selves, there is another reality at play. And it's not just the reality of our inadequate selves, it's the reality of God. And what I want to kind of just kind of prompt you with today is that although you have named you, or you have believed the names that others have put on you, there is someone else who names you. And I want to invite you in. Who are you going to listen to? And to kind of dive into this, we're going to look over the next three messages at a, one, one individual, as he bumps up to his own inadequacy, and I told you earlier in the series, you know, this series is really about us bumping into our inadequacy, bumping into the ability of God, and he does just that. And his name's Gideon. So if you have your Bibles, go to Judges chapter 6, Judges chapter 6, and where Gideon starts as his inadequacy bumps up into the ability of God, he starts with this whole area of naming. And the question is, who are you going to listen to? So, Gideon, if you don't know the story, in history, Gideon kind of falls between, you've heard of maybe Moses and Joshua. Moses was like the let my people go and the Red Sea and all that, you know, that. And then, and then there's the kings, you know, maybe you heard of David and Goliath, that. So in between that, there was this period of time where the nation of Israel didn't really have a human leader all the time. 
Instead, God was their leader, and he would raise up judges, these, these leaders called judges, sometimes men, sometimes a woman, and he would raise them up to lead his people. But there was this cycle that the nation of Israel went through over and over. We laugh at it because it's kind of funny, um, but we're going to find out it's not that funny because it's kind of our cycle too. So here's the cycle of what the nation of Israel just kept going through. They would follow God because there was a judge that was kind of like, hey, we're, this is how it works, and God would raise up the judge. And then the judge would die, and in time, the people would say, you know what? I think we kind of got this on our own. And they would go their own way, and they would stop following God. They would disobey God. They would often start following other uh, uh, gods and worshiping other gods. And in the process of that, God would say, okay, you want it your way, you can have it your way. But in essence, God wanted to pull them back so he would discipline them or punish them by, afflict, by allowing a nation to come and afflict them. And as, as they would go through this difficulty, this oppression from this other nation, finally they would come to their senses and they're like, we got to call out to God. And they call out to God for help to be saved and God would raise up a judge and the judge would save them, and then they would follow God while the judge was alive, and the judge would die, and then they would disobey God, they'd go their own way, and then God would send a nation to afflict them, and then after their affliction, they'd be like, God, we need some help, and God would send a judge to save them, and then they'd follow him, and then the judge would die, and you can see the cycle just keeps going and going and going. And like I said, we kind of smile, we're like, idiots. Oh, we shouldn't say that in church. S foolish people, right? Like, why would, isn't this, anyways, it's our story too, isn't it? So here's the deal. As we dive into what the writer of Judges says, we find this, this, this cycle, we find exactly where the nation's at. Here's, here's what it says. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites, right? This, this is where they're at. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain uh, clefts, caves, and strongholds. So you can see exactly where they are in the cycle, right? They had stopped following God. They had done evil in the eyes of the Lord. So God has sent a nation to oppress them. It's been seven years. And at this point, they're not even saying, God, we need your help. <laughs> they're just living in the oppression, right? And it was bad. I mean, the writer tells us, whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. These were the people living on the east side of the Jordan River. It's like, from where we are at here in Three Hills, it's like on the other side of the Red Deer River, right? That's where they came from. They're just coming and destroying. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. And this was, they were just being completely impoverished, completely destroyed. You can see immediately where they're at, right? They haven't been following God. They've been doing evil. And God has sent this nation. And even in the middle, they've been at this point where they're just like still trying to do it on their own, right? Isn't this how we are? It's like we follow God for a time and then it's like, you know what? I think I got some of this on my own. God, I'm going to try it my way for a bit. And we do it our way, and in time, it's not really working out. In fact, we're, our life has just gone downhill. It's like we're being afflicted, right? It's like, why are all the, like, this bad stuff? And we're still like, but I can get myself out of this. I'm going to keep going my way. But eventually, eventually, after trying it ourselves, eventually we're like, maybe I got to look at someone outside myself. And this is what the nation of Israel does. They come to the next step. And that is, 
Midian so impoverished the Israelites. Finally, they cried out to the Lord for help. Is that we've been trying it on our own and it's not working. So God, we need you to come and help. Come and save us. And this is where the story gets kind of interesting. Because here's the truth about God. See, God loves to use people to do some of his best work. God loves to use people to do some of his best work. And when we cry out to God for help, when, when we say, God, come and change my situation, God often shows up, but he doesn't show up in the way that we think he will because often he shows up and says, I want to use you. God, would you just change some things in my school? God, my friend group, it's just like, it's a terrible disaster right now. God, would you just come and change some things in my school? And God's like, I'm gonna show up. But God loves to use people. A grade six girl, a grade 12 boy, to do some of his best work. God, my company, God, if you would just come and show up in this company, would you just come and show up in our community? And God's like, yeah, I'm gonna show up. But guess how he often shows up? through people. And he's done this all throughout history. In fact, the gospel, the gospel is this exact truth. God showed up in a person, in a physical human person, and he did the best work imaginable that we are saved. Our shame, our sin is removed by the work of Jesus. God does his best work through people, and he continues to do that, and he calls people to do his best work. In fact, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says that you are now Christ's ambassadors. You want the world to change? God's like, I'm going to show up through you. But this leads us <laughs> To something, doesn't it? Well, God's going to show up. And next we're introduced to the two main characters in this part of the story. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, that's a weird word, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. So God sends his angel, the angel of the Lord, or some think, you know, maybe it was the Lord himself, we don't know, but God shows up, either as himself or as a messenger, and he sits under the oak tree. Now, we're not told how long he sat there and watched Gideon. Maybe it was like half an hour, maybe it was three minutes, maybe it was like half the day, just sitting there watching this guy. But we're told what Gideon was doing. Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, you might not understand how, you know, ancient wheat, uh, wine presses and wheat threshing went. Uh, but a wine press in ancient times, uh, the way they, they pressed wine or got the juice out of the grapes was there was two depressions in the ground, these kind of holes in the ground. And one was a little bit higher than the other, and in between was like this little canal or this little trench. And as the grapes were crushed, the juice would flow into the other, uh, into the lower uh, little depression in the ground where you would then you know, get the, the juice to make the wine. And so I've seen this when I was in Palestine, when I was in Israel a couple of years ago, there was this de great depression in the land and then the, there's another one below and the juice, the little canal goes between the two. Now, here's the thing. When you're threshing wheat, typically, now we, we thresh wheat, you know, the combine does all the work, but back then, I mean, you had to do this by hand and, and you're trying to separate the chaff from the wheat and the way to do that was to go to a windy place and then as you're threshing the wheat, the chaff would blow away, which would leave the kernels of wheat, which still have weight to them. And this was almost always done, well, it makes sense, on a hill where it's the windiest. So here's Gideon 
rather than threshing wheat on a hill, is threshing wheat in a hole in the ground, in a depression in the ground. And we're all like, Gideon, why are you threshing wheat in a wine press? This makes no sense. And the writer of Judges is like, let me help you make sense of this. In a wheat press to keep it from the Midianites. So here's the thing about Gideon. He is an absolute wimp, right? I mean, if there was like a fight or flight syndrome, we all have the kind of like, are you a fighter or a flighter? You know, do you run or do you fight? Gideon is definitely the flight guy, right? This isn't the kind of guy that raises up an army. He's like, let's charge the hill, right? It's like, if he's the leader, everyone's like, so what are we doing, Gideon? He's like, okay, just run and hide. This is a big game of hide and seek. The winner lives. The other ones die from the Midianites, right? This is how, this is how Gideon was. He is no charge the hill kind of guy. And God's been watching him, right? I don't know how long, but he's been watching him for a while. And this is what happened. When the Lord, uh, angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. <laughs> exactly. In fact, this is so important. We're going to, I'll say this out loud, okay? The Lord is with you, mighty warrior, okay? Everyone say it out loud together. One, two, three. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon's response is exactly what your response was. Pardon me? <laughs> right? Like, pardon me? Because he, you know, we all said pardon me because we're like the mighty warrior piece, right? Like, this guy's hiding out. He is a flight, not a fight guy. Pardon me, but here's the interesting thing. Gideon does not say pardon me because of the mighty warrior piece. Not initially. He's going to get there. He says pardon me for a different reason that we actually probably missed out when we read that, because what did we all read? The Lord is what? With you. And he gets to that first. Listen to what he says. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, right? Not, not, uh, we'll get to the mighty warrior thing, because we'll like, we deal with that. If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And he starts questioning the Lord. And, and, you know, it always makes me laugh. You know, here's this, this guy who's, who's kind of struggling to be like this, this, you know, strong, charge the hill kind of guy. But boy, he's sure brave before God, right? He's like, he's passive in everything except for before God. I got some questions, God, right? I bet you've asked some of these questions too. God, if you say you're with me, why? Why is this happening in my life? God, you say that you're, why? I can't reconcile your presence and this. And Gideon's wrestling with his faith. He's wrestling and, and it, he goes even beyond. I think this is like borderline sacrilegious. Here's what he said. Where are all the wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord, the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of the Midian. He doesn't just question God. How do I reconcile what's happened and, and with, with your presence? Now he says, the problem, God, is you. <laughs> I mean, talk about a guy who's got bravery. I don't know if it's bravery or stupidity, but he's going all, he's just, he's going for it. Like, finally, you showed up. I'm going for it. God, this is your problem, and this is your fault. He starts blaming God himself. And I love God's response, because you know what? If I was God, and probably if you were God, you'd be like, all right, we can find someone else. You're done. You disrespect it. We just, but God is so gracious in our struggle. And God is so full of kindness. 
I'm so thankful. God doesn't come at Gideon. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's, let, let's get the facts straight. You guys abandoned me. You don't deserve my presence. You don't even deserve. You've been following other gods. Let me, let's talk facts, right? God doesn't do that. He's so kind. He's like, let's just get to the point of what I'm here for, he says, in essence. The Lord turned him and said, go. Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? See, Gideon wants to talk about what happened. Gideon wants to know, what, how do I reconcile? Gideon wants to have all the answers as to why God works the way he does. And God says, ah, we could get to that. But here's the most important part. I'm here. You wanted someone to show up? You've been crying out for help? I'm here. And now that I'm here, you're the one who's going to do it. See, God loves to use people, people like you and me, to do some of his best work. And this, though, this, this, this causes tension for us because it causes us to bump up against what? You're going you're to call me? That's what he says. He says, the Lord turned him and said, go in the strength you have and save Midian out of, or save uh, Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Go in the strength you have. Here's the deal. God didn't say, go and be someone you're not. Go try to be something that you've never been before. Simply go in the strength you have. Just be you and I'm going to make up the rest. And here's what God is not meaning by that. Don't take this as, okay, so you know, I don't have to grow in my gifting. I don't have to grow in boldness. I guess I just don't have to grow in my faith. No, of course you should grow. Of course you should say, God, how do I grow into the things but God does not say, hey, you haven't been, you know, just change everything about you. He says, just be you. Go in the strength you have. You don't have a lot. Just take what you have. And now God has pushed him to the strength piece. That's that mighty warrior piece that we all laughed at. And that's where Gideon goes next. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. And he's going to go into this whole thing about, here's why I'm not the guy. <laughs> and this makes me laugh because we do the same thing, right? We love to direct and counsel God, uh, uh, counsel him on what will and won't work, right? We say, God, would you show up in my school? God, would you show up in my community? God, would you show up in my, in my coworkers' lives? And God's like, ah, what about you? And we're like, here's all the reasons, God, that's a bad idea. Let me just give you some advice, God, because you need it, right? Let me just help you out here a bit. Here's why this won't work. And as Gideon gets into all the reasons this won't work, what we see is he is going to name himself. Here's what he says. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel when my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family? See the naming? He says, God, I'm nothing. God, I don't have the leadership. I don't have the lineage. I don't have the influence. God, you picked the wrong person. And I was like, no, 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 I want to use you. I want to do my best work through you. And when God does that, inevitably, it calls us beyond where we're comfortable. We come face to face with our own inadequacy. And as God calls Gideon in this very specific moment, God hasn't called you to go overthrow the Midianites, just so you know. It's different. But as God has called Gideon, all of a sudden he comes face to face with his own inadequacy. 
He says, I don't know if I can. And he begins to name himself. This is who I am. I am the least and I am the weakest. I'm the least and I'm the weakest. But here's the interesting thing. If you go just by logic, Gideon's wrong. Gideon's wrong. He's not even seen the truth right. And God could have come along to Gideon and said, Gideon, you're seeing this all wrong because we're going to find out next time. And you can read this you know, on your own. But as the story continues, we find out that Gideon has a minimum of at least 10 servants. I'll tell you this. In ancient times, if you had 10 servants, you weren't nothing. You were at least something. He has at minimum 10 servants at his disposal. Also, his father... His dad is one of the most influential people in the community, in the entire region, in the county. His dad, their land is the site of the, of the worship of the God they're all serving. The entire region comes to his home to worship Baal. It's all happening on his land, which means his dad is looked up to and Gideon's his son. If we're just talking, Gideon, who are you? God could have come to Gideon and said, Gideon, 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 you're not seeing you right you got to dig deep. you got to see what's there. I want to show you who you are. But God does not do that. Because although it would have been true, God, who is a truth God, is more concerned about a greater truth. A far greater truth. And it's not dig deep. You know, this is what, you know, humanistically speaking, secularly speaking, this is the message, right? You have it in you. you just got to look for it. you got to see it. And there's a deeper truth, even if it were true. God is saying there's a deeper truth and it's not you. Here's what he says. He names himself and God says, let me, let me tell you some things. The Lord answered him. I will be with you. Two truths. I will be with you and you will. I will be with you and you will strike down all the many nights, leaving none alive. Now, we could get all caught up on the destructive nature of this verse and just kind of wrestle, and you should wrestle with that, but that's not the direction of this message, so we're going to kind of put that aside for today. What God is saying for the purposes of our study today is this. I'm going to be with you, and you will succeed. He's just said, hey, hey, but look at what I'm not. I'm the least. I'm the weakest. I don't have the lineage. I don't have the, the leadership. I don't have the influence. This is who I am, and God says, I know who you are, but you've forgotten one thing. And this is the point of the entire passage. God sees us through the lens of who we are through him. God sees us. God sees you through the lens of who you are through him. And this is why when God comes to Gideon those number of verses earlier and he says, listen, you are a mighty warrior. God is not saying that simply to blow smoke or to like say, oh, I got to propped up my little guy here so that he has some confidence. God isn't doing that. He's not just saying, he's not just making stuff up. When God says this, he is truthfully honest because God sees him through what lens? through the lens of himself. And that's why later he says, listen, you, I will be with you and you will succeed. I see you, Gideon, through the lens of who you are through me. This is how God sees you. He sees you through the lens of who he is. And it changes absolutely everything. You know, one of the questions you may have is like, so why does God call us beyond? 
Like, why isn't it just good enough for us to just stay in our comfortable selves? Well, as I said earlier, God loves to do his best work through people. That's one of the reasons. But the other reason is this, because it shows his power when it's accomplished. It shows his power when it's accomplished. So God sees you through the lens of who you are through him. So I want to ask you a question today. You've got some names about you. Some names that you've said about you. Maybe some names that others have said about you. Maybe some names that your past says about you. And you have a heavenly father who makes some declarations about you and they're not congruent with the names you've believed. And the question of Gideon, as you bump up against your inadequate self, which voice are you going to listen to? See, some of the names you might have are names similar to Gideon. I'm the weakest. I'm nothing. I'm not valued. Maybe yours is, I'm not strong enough. I've never been brave. I can't, I'm not brave enough. Maybe the name that you've said about you is, I'm just not educated. I'm not gifted enough. Maybe the name that you've said about you is a name others have said about you, that you are unvalued and you are unloved. Maybe the name that you've believed about you is a name that has come from your past. You're the addicted one. You've always had this addiction. It's just who you are. And God is calling you out through the person of Jesus, your Savior and Lord who lives in you and says, I call you by a different name. You're not the addicted one. You're the set free one. It's who you are. And he's not blowing smoke. It's who you are. And you're like, I'm the angry one. I lose my temper. It's just who I am. I tried a program. I tried this. I tried that. This is just who I am. And God says, no, no, no. You're not the angry one. You're the self-controlled one because that's who you are. Your, my spirit is in you and my spirit produces self-control. Yeah, but I'm just anxious. It's just like, it's who I am. Anxiety and fear just overwhelm my life. And your heavenly father says, no, you're peace. Because my spirit is in you when you put your faith in Jesus my spirit enters you and it produces peace. Would you live into who you are? Seen through the lens of who I am. Yeah, but I can't. It's too big. It's too far. I could never. God says, I know. You don't have to find it in yourself. Would you find it in me? In all the ways you're not enough, would you see my ability? And maybe for you, you've defined yourself as the sinner. <laughs> I make mistakes and I've boatload of history to prove it and your heavenly father declares over to you today you're a saint because he sees you through the lens of himself the person of jesus who has paid your debt on your behalf so i want to ask you today i don't know what name you've given yourself but you have a heavenly father who speaks a name over you and which voice are you going to listen to which voice are you going to listen to as God leads you into situations that you say, I don't know if I can, because God uses people to do some of his best work, or as God calls you to live into who you are in Christ, which is a changed, a changed person, a new creation, and you say, I can't. Which voice are you going to listen to? Now, maybe for you, you say, I don't know if I can, Pastor. This is a, how, where do I start? How does this even work? 
Well, next message, we're going to see through the story of Gideon where it starts, when big things change, where it all begins. And maybe you're saying, God, I need a big thing to happen in my life. God, there needs to be a big thing that happens in my school, in my family, in my workplace, in our community. And we're going to find out next time where that begins. So I invite you to come back. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you for your word. And Father, just as we see through the story of Gideon, how so often we name ourselves. And you know what? Some of the names we've given ourselves uh, could be true in the sense that it's true of our past. But God, you are a God who redeems. And our past does not define our future when you get involved. So Father, may we, as you rename us, because of what Jesus has done, because of what your spirit, who your spirit is within us. May we step into that. And as you lead us into the things you're calling us to, and we bump up against our inadequate selves, may we be those as your people who take our eyes off of ourselves and shift them to our heavenly Father who can do the work. Father, we pray that you'd encourage your people today. Build us up for your honor and glory and for your uh, uh, kingdom to continue to spread in our community. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We trust you have been encouraged and challenged in your faith journey. If you're desiring prayer, want more information on our church, want to partner with us or be involved in any way, please go to our website at mountoliveefc.com. We'll see you next time.